Father, we do lift up our team there in Mexico. And God, I thank you for what they got accomplished. I thank you for the projects. I thank you for the people they've touched. I thank you, God, that you've used them to shine brightly there in Keno Bay. And Lord, as they're gathering or kind of finishing up their, their church time with the brothers and sisters there at the, at the, at the sister church there in Keno, Lord, just bless that time. Bless their fellowship as they end the service. And then, Lord, as they begin to head back north, keep them safe as they're driving. Watch over them. And then, again, as they get to the border, give them a good, uh, just a, a good crossing, no hassle, and get them back home safely. And we thank you for them, Lord. And as we look at your word, we ask, God, that you would just, Lord, you would speak to us. A great section here in Galatians, and, and I pray it would come alive for us. I pray it would penetrate our hearts, that it would reach into that inner man and, and, and that inner spirit and strengthen us so that, Lord, so that we can be strong in you and we can honor you with our lives and glorify you in this world. So God, bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Paul has been, uh, for most of chapter three, he's arguing about or trying to differentiate between the law and the promise. The promise came from Abraham, the law came later on. And we left off last time even where he said, hey, if we are, if we're in Christ, we have the blessings of Abraham. And, and, and so then the natural question is, why the law? And we're gonna look at that today. But for homework, for homework, I, got, I want you guys to do something. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 19 and read as the law was given there and then go to Genesis chapter 15 and read where the promise was made. Now, you should have already read Genesis chapter 15, but I'm having you read it again. And none of you wrote that down. God bless you because that means you're not gonna read it. But hey, as you, as you do that, here's what you're gonna find out. When the law is given and then all through the law, through the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all the law is about this. You shall, you shall, if you do, you shall, you shall. The promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 is this. I will, I will. I will. I love that. And that's a big difference. And so Paul is trying to get that across these people who are saved, but somebody's trying to get them back under the law and bring them back into it. And he's going, why would you want to do that? Number one, why would you even think about doing that? So let's pick it up here in verse 19. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? So there's that question. If the law came after the promise, and if you're in the promise, the law really has no bearing. Why the law? Then why was the law given? And that's a fair question. Here's what I love. As Paul works through this, he asks questions that he knows they're thinking, and that's always good. He's kind of, you know, quote, ahead of them and, and, and in uh, tune with them. So why was, what purpose did the law serve? Look at what it says in verse 19. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So I want to stop there for a minute and think about what he just said. Number one, if you're a Bible marker, if you mark your Bible, or highlight or circle, I want, you to, I want you to really circle that word added. The law was added. After the promise, the law was added, and it was added, why? Because of transgressions. You see, the law was given to 
demonstrate to us that we're sinners. The law reveals to us that we're sinners, and that's the purpose of the law, so that we will understand, listen, we will understand, we've offended a holy, righteous, pure God. And if without the law, we're not gonna understand that. It's not gonna come across. Now, listen carefully, the law doesn't make us sinners. We're already sinners. The law just reveals that we're sinners and that we understand that. Now, I know some of you are saying, but what if you don't know the whole law? Well, most of us don't know the whole law. But the Holy Spirit is able to convict us. He comes and lets us know. I, I, I know there's sometimes arguments on how much do you need to know to get saved? Here's what you need to know to get saved, that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins and he took your punishment. That's what you need to know. Now, how, what, to what degree are we gonna understand that? All of us are different in that degree, but that's what we need to know. We've offended a holy God. And you and I, listen, we have an obligation to let people know that. Now, there's ways to tell people, listen, don't tell people pointing your finger at them and, hey, you dirty sinner. And, and hey, you need to have conversations with people and you need to let them know. And one of the greatest ways to let people know is we are sinners, not you. And you start telling them you are a sinner, man, they're gonna put up walls, they're gonna put up barriers, they're gonna get up tight. Include yourself because you know what? You are you are in that camp. And so the law was given. What's the purpose of the law? To reveal transgression because of transgression until the seed should come whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Now this verse and the next verse get real complicated. 19 and 20 can get real complicated. And, and as I read some of the brainiacs, like I, I hang out all week with brainiacs in my office. I fellowship with them, their books. And as I read these guys, well, I, I consider it hanging out with them. I don't know. They probably don't know me. But as I read them, here's the thing, man. They start talking about how complex and complicated this passage is. And especially when it gets to this latter part. The first part's pretty plain, latter part. And then they begin to do all the nuances and begin to explain things and break things down. And, and even in the original language, they start doing some stuff. And, and I gotta be honest, I'm kind of a simple guy. And they start doing that and I get lost. And I'm going, where are you going with this? And I personally, and after they get done with all of it, they come up with the same conclusion I can from just reading it. There's a couple conclusions. One, the one I stick with, listen, here's what he's saying. He's saying the law was given through a mediator and technically through two, but a mediator. Moses was a mediator. And why do you have a mediator? Why do you, when you go and have mediation, why do you have a mediator? Because two parties cannot get along, right? You need a mediator to help you and bring you together and get you thinking right. So the law was given through a mediator. Moses was that bridge between man and God. But then he says, but God is one. I interpret that as with the promise, there was no mediator. You didn't need a mediator, why? It was a one-way deal. Listen, when God made the promise, God said, here's what I'm going to do, period. 
This is what I'm going to do. I will, I will, I will, I will. Go back and read it. So you don't need a mediator. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the idea that I don't need a mediator. That God and I aren't in a position where I got to bring somebody in. Oh, and then it even says it was given through angels. So technically, the law came through God, to angels, to Moses, to the people. When the promise came to Abraham, we read that, and you should read it if you're going to do your homework. How did it come? God met, in a sense, face-to-face with Abraham, one-on-one. That's good. So that's a point he's trying to make, that we understand all of those nuances. And then he says in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Don't you love it? Here's Here's another question you would have. Okay, if you have this and you have this, and they seem to contradict each other, then is the law against the promises of God? I love, he says, certainly not, right? You you know, today we might say, no way, Jose, or whatever you want to do. Absolutely not. God forbid some of the translation. No, that is not the case. He says, no, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember what he prayed? Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Isn't that what Paul is saying here? If it could have come any other way except through that promise, the seed. Remember, the promise was given to Abraham and his seed, not seeds, but seed, meaning Jesus, the Messiah is gonna come, pay for our sins. And he goes, hey, if there was another way, don't you think God would have come up with it? If the law could produce righteousness? Hey, the law cannot do that. That's not what the law was designed for. The law was designed for you and I to understand we can't do it. And that's why it was given. Paul in 2 Corinthians wrote this. Listen, he says, God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly or steadily at the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Listen, you look at the one and then you look at the other one and you begin to understand what Paul's saying. Why would you go for the, why would you go for the law? And that's what he's asking them. And the law and, the, and the, the promise do not contradict each other. Actually, they complement each other. And then his statement, I love this statement. Verse 22, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You need to know you got to get the bad news before you get the good news. If you don't get the bad news, the good news isn't good news. It's just news. But if you get the bad news, listen to what he says. If the scripture, if that law hems you in and gets you in and you understand, I'm a sinner, I've offended God, and I need salvation. How great is the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins? That's the good news. And he's trying to get people to understand. 
In Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, here's what he says. I'll paraphrase it. You can look it up later. He says you can either use the law lawfully or you can use it unlawfully. The lawful use of the law is conviction. The unlawful use of the law is trying to get and manipulate people with the law. And he says, hey, he says, look at this, man. He says, you have the law, but scripture is confined under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law causes us to believe, as I said, Go back, let's go back and think about what did you have to know when you were saved? I was raised in the Serbian Orthodox Church. The language spoken there was an archaic Serbian language. It wasn't even the, the modern Serbian language. Not that that would have helped, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. And I didn't know anything. Hey, I went to church for years. I knew nothing. I knew when to get up, and I was an altar boy. I knew I went out this door. I knew I went here and stood. I knew I went over there and stood, and I knew I went back in that door. That was my job. And my favorite, my brother and I, our favorite jobs were the priest would tell us, just put a little incense in the censer, and he was, they always talked broken, they didn't know English well, and he would always say, just to put a little bit. And we would go, okay, we would put a whole cake in there. And we'd fire it up, and then we would blow on it, and really get it going, and then slam the lid shut. And he would go out front, not knowing what we've done, open it, and it would go. <laughs> kind of like the glory of God, I guess, filling the temple. And he would come back, and he'd be so mad. I told you, just a little bit, just put a little bit. And he would go on about his business. We would put a whole cake in there, fire it up again. This went on, I don't know why. And isn't it a wonder I'm saved? You, you think about that, right? You think about being confined and, and, and the, the believing in Jesus Christ. I knew nothing about, I knew nothing, but God saved me. And he saved me by his grace. And the way he saved me was to reveal my heart that I had offended him. And that the only way out was to believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit can do that. When we did work in Mexico and showing the Jesus film, we did a lot with the Jesus film. And, and in doing that, we had conversations at night like, how much do they really understand? Because the Jesus film is bottom line. It's the gospel of Luke word for word. And so you're trying to go through that and, and we're understanding what do they understand about Pharisees? What do they understand about Jews and the background and all of that? And some of the people would say, maybe we shouldn't do this because you're afraid they're not getting it. And so I would tell them, look, I didn't understand anything. I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know who was who. I didn't know who was on what side. I didn't even know Jesus was coming back. When I found out Jesus was coming back, I was pretty torqued at all these religious people that never told me Jesus was coming back. I think that should be the first thing you should tell somebody. So on the street, when you meet people, you need to tell them Jesus is coming back and then have a conversation with them, then tell them they're a sinner, and then tell them they need to be saved. But I was really angry, so how much do you need to know? Here's what you need to know. You're a sinner, you've offended a holy God, and Jesus Christ so died for you. So listen, man, he lays that out, and I love that. As he lays that out, he says, and, and listen, and he says, he says that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So you have to believe, but... Verse 13, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. The purpose of the law is to 
What? The purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions? Here he says that law takes us and it guards us. He's going to use a couple different metaphors here to get us to understand what the law is doing. It guards us. Do you remember when Paul was in Damascus after his conversion and he wanted to get out and it said they surrounded Damascus and they guarded him so he couldn't get out and had to let him out in that basket over the wall. That's that same word. Listen, we're surrounded. The law comes in to confine us and surround us so that we know we're sinners. That's the first metaphor he uses. So like soldiers coming around us. And then he says, I love this one. Therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. When you hear the word tutor, what do you think? Here's what I think. Somebody you hire to teach you something, right? Whether it's after school, a different time. That's what I think. That's what I think in tutor. Or some of yours might have schoolmaster. Or some of yours might have teacher. I don't think any of those are a real fair, accurate translation of the culture. Remember, Paul is living in a culture and he's writing at the time of that culture and he uses the word and the specific word he used in the Greek, I don't even know if we have a word for it. That's why they chose tutor. That specific word that he used, and I would tell you the name of it, but I have a hard time pronouncing it and it won't help you anyway. So the Greek word he used was, uh, it, it, it talked about a person who was a slave, somebody you bought and you owned to raise your child. You brought this person in, not, a, not necessarily like today's nanny or something. You had this person. This person was in charge of discipline, in charge of, of your child's well-being, in charge of bringing them up morally according to your family standards, in charge of taking them to school and getting them home to school, dressing them, caring for them. Are you getting the idea? This tutor was with them all the time, pouring into them and teaching them life values and life lessons. And, and hey, they had their education from others, but that's what the tutor was for. And then when one reached a certain age, they didn't need the tutor anymore. Look at the, look at the next verse, verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Once that child reached 16, 17 years old, they would have a ceremony, a lot like the Jews. The Jews have a bar mitzvah. They would have a ceremony, and this was kind of crazy. I think it's kind of cool, where they would change togas. And you took off the toga, the dress of a child, and you put on the toga of an adult. And once you put on that toga, your tutor was gone. You didn't need a tutor anymore. Why? Because you're all grown up. And here's the thing, all of the things that the tutor taught you, now you're gonna practice in your life. Not because the tutor's there, but because they're in your heart. Now let's think about that, the law. The law comes, the law's a tutor to us. It, the law hymns us in, but it also teaches us morals. The moral law doesn't change. Teaches us values, we go through all of that, and we don't have to read it over and over when we're born again, it's in our hearts. Now keep this idea of the toga because I think it's good because I think Paul's really playing on it. So he says, once you're an adult, you don't need the tutor anymore. The tutor's gone. Now check this out. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith 
in Christ Jesus. Now, we're gonna go through a couple verses here that, that I think sometimes, like the first one, I'm not sure Tudor was a good translation. Here, some of your translations will say, we're all children of God because they're trying to be gender neutral and trying not to offend anybody and, and, and you know, be correct for our culture. Bad translation. Sorry, but it's a bad translation. You can't just, you, listen, you can't just change things. And I'm telling you it's bad because of this reason. Who inherited everything in biblical times? The son. And not just the son, the firstborn son. He inherited everything. There wasn't this whole thing of wills and I leave this much to you and this much to you. Your firstborn son inherited everything. Not your children your firstborn son. So let's read this again. For you are all what? Sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What is Paul communicating? We're that firstborn son. We've inherited everything. I don't know about you, but I discovered that and I'm, whoa, yes, hallelujah. I'm that, that's who I am. Well, he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna go on that. Look at verse 27. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, when he's talking about baptism here, he's not talking about water baptism. You know, I was, I was really blown away by how many scholars went with water baptism here. If water baptism is what puts you into Christ, then that's something that's necessary for salvation. You have to be baptized to be saved. There are some churches or cults that I call them or cultish churches that teach that. You do not have to be baptized to be saved. You have to believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. Should we be baptized? Absolutely. It's part of being obedient to what, what God has called us to, yes. But it's not essential. You know, there are people, and I heard this a long time ago. There are people who get baptized just trying to, you know, I wanna get to heaven, so I wanna get baptized. If you're getting baptized and you're not born again, all you are is a wet sinner, you know, as nothing's changed, and we need to understand that. What is he talking about here? He's talking about when we are baptized with, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Go back and read Ephesians for homework. Now, you're going to get a whole bunch of homework. You guys slept in. So go read Ephesians. And there's one baptism, you're baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. And I, the reason I, I feel that and I can prove it is, here's what he says. He says, uh, those who were baptized into Christ have what? Have put on Christ. Now let's go back to the toga, right? Hey, we're all growing up, why? We put on Christ. Doesn't that excite you? Some of you don't look too excited, come on. Then you've put on Christ. How great is that? And that's part of the promise. And you and I, listen, you and I are clothed with Christ. I don't think it gets any better than that. I don't think it gets any gooder than that. You know, to use bad grammar so you'll remember. That's it. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And we have Christ, we've put on Christ, we've taken off that child toga, and we put on the big boy toga. And now we're ready. And here's what I know, when you get born again, your perspective changes. 
Your look on life changes. Your look in, in, in moral values changes. Oh, it's growing. I think it should be changing and, and, and growing all the time. I'm, I'm not saying you get saved and boo, but I'm saying you begin that process and you begin looking at things differently. Believers, we should look at the world a lot different than the world looks at the world. We should have a different worldview. Why? Because we're in Christ. So I love he says that. Listen, now, now he gets to one that I love and I hate. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love what he's saying. I hate the idea that people will take this verse and misuse it. They will take this verse and try and say, there's no difference between genders. I'm looking around this room. There is a difference between genders. I hate to tell you that. I hate to break the news. Biologically, men are men and women are women. And our culture can say whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. But there's a difference. And so Paul is not, listen, I have people jerking this out of context and saying, see, the Bible says there's no difference. That's not what he's saying. It's somebody who studies the Bible. I, I, you know, I study hours. I study probably a minimum of 35, 40 hours a week, which blows my mind because when I was in school, I hated school. I hated reading. I hated history. I thought school was a social event. I thought you went there to meet people. I didn't know you were supposed to go to classes. And people would tell me, didn't you learn that in high school? I went, I think I might have missed that year. <laughs> I feel sorry for my teachers. I, last night I said I should probably go back and find some and apologize, you know, that they had to have me as a student. I was like the worst. And I was lazy and I was bad and, you know, and I think of all that. And then someone, someone had the guts to go out and say, well, if your teachers are still alive, they'd be in the Genesis book of world, right? I'm thinking, what did you just say to me? I can't believe you just said that. I have a few teachers I know are alive. The guy, the, my art teacher, the one who taught me how to do pottery, he's still alive. It was great, he got to see the pottery presentation. He got to see this, you know, good for nothing student he had ended up saved and ended up doing something with what he taught him. So anyway, I'm sorry, we, you, well, you guys are 11 o'clock, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> but back to this, listen, back to this, do not misuse scripture. Don't just take something and rip it out of context and say this is what it's saying. What is Paul saying? Number one, number one, what is he talking about? The difference between the law and the promise, right? Isn't that what he's communicating? Isn't that what this whole text is about, this area? And the law does this and the promise does this. For homework, read the rest of Exodus after you read 19 and then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then take a nap. And part of me, I'm kidding, but you know, it'd be good to read because here's what you're gonna find out. What does the law do? The law makes a very clear distinction between Jew and Greek. A very clear distinction between male and female, a discriminatory distinction. A very clear distinction between the social ladder in the community. Read what it says. 
If you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship God, as far as you could go was the court of the Gentiles. And there was a wall there that said, you cross this wall, you die. That's pretty blunt, right? And then right on the other side of that wall was the court of the women. And then beyond that was the court of the men. If you were a woman, you only got so close, period. And so what is Paul letting us know? According to your relationship with God, right? Your relationship with God, your salvation, those distinctions don't matter anymore. Sure, there's still male and female. Doesn't matter. Sure, there's still slave and free. Doesn't matter. Sure, there's still Gentile. There's different races. I look around our church and I see a lot of different races. It's okay. But as far as the cross, it doesn't matter. We are all equal at the cross. I love that whole thought. So listen, and even within the church, there's distinctions sometimes between roles of men and women. Again, he's not obliterating those. He's saying when you come to Christ, you are all at the same level. We are all equal. There's nobody higher than, you know, some people think like, like you know, well, so-and-so, he's got to be way higher than I am spiritually. We're all equal. Sometimes people think like me, they'll say, you must be high. And I go, man, I am way low. I went to the doctor on Friday. Because people are always, you know, well, a pastor, you're a pastor. I go to the doctor on Friday and he says, so what do you do for a living? Now, part of me, I get upset with that for this reason. I just wrote that down on the survey you made me, these pe- this paperwork you made me fill out. Read the paper, right? Do you guys ever feel that way? Any of you guys ever feel like, why did I fill out this paper if you're not going to read it? But anyways, sorry, one of my rants. And they're never on time. But anyway, so, sorry. So, so he's, he's like, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. I'm not exaggerating. I said, I'm a pastor. He did this. <laughs> Seriously. And he goes, well, you don't dress like a pastor. And I go, really? I go, how does a pastor dress? And then he said this. I guess I should watch my mouth, huh? It's like, really? I mean, you know, one thing, I, my ears aren't virgin, you know? It's like, it's okay. But number two, you're a professional. You, can, you don't watch your mouth anyway? That's what I wanted to say. Do you, do you normally curse and talk horrible with your patients and now I'm a pastor? You're gonna, it's like, you're a professional. And I'm, anyway, so the point is, I'm equal and, and people treat you like you're somebody different. I'm just like everybody else. We're all saved by grace. And that's Paul's point. Then he says, the greatest of all, are you guys ready for this? Some of you have already read it. It's so good. Look at verse 29. And if you are Christ, listen carefully, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yes! If we're in Christ, we're in. Do you understand how powerful that is? And we're heirs, we're heirs of Abraham. We're there, hallelujah. I know some of you aren't really stoked, but you'll get there. Just read it a few times. That is so good, listen, it is so wonderful. Those promises, go read those promises. Now, I do wanna say something. 
As you read those promises, uh, we're getting ready to go to Israel. If you're on the Israel trip, we get to Israel. I don't want you like jumping out and starting to claim land and say, you know, this was my promise through Abraham and I'm taking this part. So just chill on that part, but understand, understand that we're in because of Jesus Christ. Are we moral? I hope we are. The moral law is still the moral law. And it tutored us so that we would be moral people. And here's what I found. As a Christian, I don't look at things and say, bummer, I can't do that. I, I kind of like this. I think it was Augustine, one of the old, old dead guys, 1500s. Way old dead guy. I think it was him that said, love the Lord your God with all your might, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then do whatever you want. I like that. You see, because if you're loving God, you're not gonna wanna offend God. You see, your relationship is different. You're no longer having that tutor. You're an adult now. And you have a relationship with the holy God. And you're going to live differently because of that relationship because Christ is in you and on you. You're clothed with Christ. So saints, we're part of the promise. Woo-hoo. Oh, Galatians gets even better after this. So we're gonna build up on that for a while. But I want you, as we get ready to leave today, I want you to think about who you are in Christ and how good that is. And the fact that you know what? The law is still the law. And the law doesn't change. And the law will judge sin as sin. Whether you tell a little white lie or whether you murder somebody. Here's a good illustration for that. Right now we live under the law of gravity, right? Someone say yes. You guys just like sit there. It scares me every time. I think, did it change? <laughs> like there's gravity, right? We live under, that's a, that's a physical law that we live with, right? Gravity. So we're all, let's, let's all go and go up on a, you know, 60-story building and just have, you know, just have a good time. Let's eat and fellowship. And as we're eating in fellowship, what if somebody runs and jumps off that building? <laughs> Splat, Right? They die because of gravity. And then what if a couple people are kind of talking and they're getting rowdy with each other, they start pushing each other and, and one pushes a little too hard and that guy goes over the edge. Splat, he dies. And then somebody goes to look over the edge to see what happened to the guys who fell over the edge and he trips and goes over the edge and splat. You get my point? Gravity doesn't play favorites. Neither does the law. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how you've sinned. What matters is you have sinned. And you need the promise to get out of the sin. That's where we're at. So praise God we're part of that promise. Let's stand up and and pray. Father, I do thank you today, Lord. I just thank you for your your grace, I thank you that we can read this and the challenge in your word. And that God, you make it, you make it, to me, you make it so clear. Why would we, why would we ever 
want to put ourselves under something that would just push us down and beat us down and, and never let us go rather than enjoying a relationship with you. And I thank you that through that relationship, you change us. And God, that we can put on Christ and walk through this world as different. Walk through this world and shine brightly and affect lives and change individuals. So God, I pray that we would hold this truth dear to our hearts and we would be people who honor you with what we do. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that place of prayer for a couple more uh, minutes here. And if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, right now, Right now is the time to change that. Maybe you're, maybe you're even here and you've related to God through the legal system and, and you've been all about legalism and, and, and all of that. You know what? Right now is the time to step out of that. Take off, your, take off your child toga and put on Christ and let that take place. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's truth. And it says the wages of sin is death. And by death, he means separation from God. That's all bad news. That's ugly news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, the promise, the Messiah. He came, he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross, he obviously died physically, but greater than that, he was separated from God and took our punishment, took what you deserve and what I deserve upon himself so that we don't have to pay the price. And now here today, he holds out to you this receipt that says paid in full. And you can either accept that or reject that. That's up to you. But if you wanna accept it, let God know, tell him. That's called prayer. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I'm gonna kinda help you out. I'll lead you in a prayer and it'll go something like this. The fact that you're gonna confess you're a sinner, you're gonna let God know you're sorry for your sin and you're gonna ask him to forgive you. And here's what I know, you, you say that prayer, God will hear you and you will be born again. You will change that relationship. If you're watching online at home, and God is touching your heart or wherever you are, you can say this prayer with us. You don't need to be here. You just need to be sincere. If you're backslidden today, backslidden people are on my heart this year. If you're backslidden, man, come back to Jesus. Say this prayer and come home because I know you are a miserable individual because you have just enough of Jesus to make you miserable and you're not fellowshipping with him with makes you more miserable. So hey, say this prayer, and you say it out loud or silent. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me. 
Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. 